0: All right, uh, I've entitled this study um, A Primer on Christianity. And I, am, I plan to spend two weeks on this. And my, my thinking on this is that I know that many of you understand uh, much of these basic principles, but I really wanted to give you one place where you would have something so that as you leave here and engage people in conversation, I want you to be able to discuss Jesus in depth. I want you to be able to discuss Jesus in depth and have a resource available where you can do this. Look, this is not just about you coming someplace and being spiritually affirmed and lifted up. It's about you being equipped to go out there and be able to impact the world. I want you to be able to impact the world when people have questions. And you're going to hear people say some stupid things about Jesus. Incredible. I mean, I can't tell you the number of times I've heard people say, well, Jesus never said he was God. What, are you kidding me? Have you ever opened the Bible? Have you ever once opened a Bible and studied it? He said it over and over and over again. In fact, he went to the cross because that's what they knew he said. That's one of the reasons they crucified him, uh, because he said he was the son of God, and the Jewish leaders repudiated that. And so, look, we stand here today to be educated. God wants you To be educated, he wants you to be prepared so that you can go out in the world and respond to those people who don't know what they're talking about. And I want you to be able to do that and do it in love. And so you have the outline in front of you. I'm going to work through this outline. And so, one of the things that I say right up front is why is Christianity so different from every other religion in the world? And the reason for that is that it's predicated on Jesus Christ. All right. Jesus Christ. There was only one person who defeated death. There's only one person in the history of the world who walked out of a tomb and walked among the living for 40 days and hundreds and hundreds of people saw him. There's no other person. Muhammad didn't do it. Buddha didn't do it. No religious leader did it. Only Jesus Christ all right? And so that's what makes our our religion different. Uh, and his, his uh, birth and coming were prophesied for thousands of years, prophesied. And the entire Bible was written to support Jesus Christ. And so you have a book inspired by God himself speaking about this man to come from Genesis to Revelation in every way, and he walked in this world. He became a human being. He gave up his life as a perfect sacrifice for us once and for all on a cross. There is no other religion like this. Make no mistake about it. That's what separates this religion from every other religion. And look, we can respect people, we don't put people down, but don't ever say, don't ever say that there are a thousand ways. God. There are not a thousand ways to God. Why would God bankrupt heaven to send Jesus to this world? Why would He do that if there were a thousand ways? Because God knew that only one perfect sacrifice, God Himself in a human form on a cross, would free this world from sin and allow each and every one of us to be part of the kingdom of God and to spend eternity with God and with your families. That's the answer. Not a thousand ways, and so look. We don't say it angrily, or we don't try to put people down, but we need to correct this in every possible way. And you know, I and I and I, I come across this often, uh, and, and what I say to people, and when they say that to me, you know, they say, "John, you're an educated person. Doesn't that seem hypocritical? Doesn't that seem to be myopic?" You're rather myopic, aren't you? That you think that what you're doing is the only way. And your response on that should be very simply this. It's not my opinion. It's not my opinion. I bow to this book. This is what the Bible tells me. I believe the Bible is written by God. And it makes it very clear that that Jesus said it. Jesus said it. There's only one way to the Father, and that's through me. And so it's not my opinion. I read the words. I'm not trying to be hateful. I'm not trying... Uh, to be uh, limiting in any way or hypocritical. This is what the Bible has told me. And so that's what I want you to focus on. That's why this needs to be studied. That's what separates Christianity from every other religion in the world. And so let's start by taking a look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Paul speaks about our responsibility as Christians. Um, and verse 20 we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. How about that? We are the ambassadors from God. Can you imagine that the God of the universe has called you to that high calling? You're an ambassador. And really? He has taken us puny, sinful humanity And he has elevated us to the point that he's basically partnering with us to spread his word. He doesn't need us. He doesn't need us. He could go through the angels if he wanted to. But instead, God bows to his creation. And he says to us, I want you to be partners with me. And so we need to have, when we go and speak to people, uh, we need to have the same conviction uh, that Peter had when he affirmed in Matthew 16. And let's turn and look at that because these verses are important. Matthew 16. Matthew 16. Let's look at it from starting with verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? And by the way, you know he knew the answer. They, they replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But well, what about you? He asked. Who do you say I am? Simon Peter. Answered, you are the Christ, the Son of the Living God. Can you imagine the power of saying that to Jesus Christ? You are the Christ, the Son of the Living God. I want you to be able to speak that passionately when you speak about Jesus. Somebody said to me yesterday, "How do you get the passion that you have when you preach?" Well, I I, I almost didn't know how to answer that. How could you not be passionate? How could you not? It's like Jesus said when he went into Jerusalem. Do you remember on the last day as he's going in and the crowd was going, Hosanna and Hosanna. And they said, "But well, what happens if, if these people didn't do this, Lord? What would happen? He said, then the very stones would cry out. The very stones would cry out. That's what this is about. You are involved in a life and death situation. It's like you're dealing with people who are on the very precipice of death and God has called you and given you the responsibility to give the message of salvation. How can we not be passionate? Really? Honestly? All right? And that's what you need when you be able to speak to people, that they see, really, how, how full of the Holy Spirit that you are, and how committed you are. And so when he said that, thou art the Christ, that was in Greek, And that Greek word came out of the Hebrew, and it meant thou art the Son of God, the very Messiah, the very Messiah, recognizing that's who Jesus was. Uh, and, And, you know, it's amazing when you see the response of Jesus there to that. He said, Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven, by my Father in heaven. And so there it is, the revelation of fact that who Jesus is is revealed by God through the Holy Spirit. It's the same today. And so when you speak to people about who Jesus is, I want you to know that God will reveal to them, even as you give them the words, God will reveal to them through the Holy Spirit who Jesus is. We don't save anybody, but we bring the message of hope. That's what we are. We are the ambassadors. And so we have to understand this. Um, and so this, this becomes important uh, for you as you understand this. Um, and one of the phrases that the Bible says is, in him was life and the life was the light of men, the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. Let's take a look at that. Look at the Gospel of John chapter 1. This becomes an important verse when people want to know about Jesus. And here's the thing when you understand this. The light about Jesus is in the heart of every person born in this world. I want you to understand what I just said. It means that the basic understanding subliminally about Christ is implanted in the very DNA of people coming into the world. He is the light. He is the light that lighteth the heart of every man that cometh into the world. Look, look in John chapter 1. Uh, verse 4, beginning with verse 3. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that that has been made. Let's stop with that. He was the creative agent designated by God the Father to create the universe. How about that? How about that? How about the fact that your Jesus, as he walked in this world, putting every foot down on every piece of dirt, and climbing every mountain as he was there knew that he created this world can you imagine that knew knew that he was part of the creation of humanity even as humanity rebelled against him every single piece of creation from the dirt from the mountains to the oceans to the planets to the sun to the stars was created by Jesus Christ through him through him all things were made. And this is the message that we have to give to the world. In him, verse 4, was life, and that life was the light of men. How about that? Through him was that life, and that light was the the light of men, meaning that God planted Jesus, the understanding of Jesus, implicitly within the very DNA. Then look at verse 9. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. He is the light that gives light to every man coming in the world. It means that it's there. The switch is there. The the implicit understanding of who Jesus is is already embedded in the DNA. What it needs is to have the switch turned on. Understand? To have the switch turned on. But that's the point uh, as we go out and teach this and understand this. And so here's the thing. As you see this world devolve, as you see disunity and division take place over the world, and you understand it, you understand really why we this world is desperate to need Jesus. Desperate, because without Jesus, there will never be unity. There will never be unity. There will constantly be division. Uh, and so as Jesus claimed, I am the light of the world, uh, he brought the, the world together in him. The Gentiles had no hope until Jesus came. They were separated uh, always from the Jew, all right? Whoever whoever thought that, that Jew and Gentile could be one, they could only be one through Jesus, through Jesus Christ. And let me say something further about this. It's Jesus alone who unites not only the world and unites the church. We are one through Jesus. I don't care if you're black or white, or Asian, or Hispanic. When you are within the body of Christ, you are one under Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen? Amen. And that is why I reject this nomenclature and movement of the woke church, all right? There's no woke church in the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's no woke church, there's one church, Jesus alone, God alone, and never, ever, ever, let any kind of slanderous writing or thinking comes in that says that the church of Jesus Christ needs to atone for something else. You atone for sin once and for all under the the cross and that atonement covers you, all right? And that's why when we try to separate ourselves and these movements like the woke church, which would seek to separate the African-American community and the black community from the white community, it's a sin, do you understand this? This is not how God wants us to act. God wants us to be one people. We are one. When I see you in Christ, I don't see your color. I see Jesus. And that's what this is about, understanding this in every possible way. And so the essential truths of the gospel of Jesus Christ are immutable. They are forever. They are unchangeable. Uh, And so as we understand that and we spread this word, everything in creation was done by him. Uh, And he came once and for all to sacrifice his life in a substitutionary death. You understand, it was the perfect will of God. And it all came about as you see it when God calls the Jewish people out of Egypt and he tells them about the Passover. And that becomes the key holiday in their life, the the key feast. In day and how they had to come and understand that, and once a year had to bow and wash and make themselves ceremonially clean and have the sacrifice of the animals. And yet, all of the animals in the world, all the blood in the world could not wash away the sins of humanity. Only through the once and perfect sacrifice of Jesus Christ could there be. Uh, And so we understand this, and we teach this, and this is what we stand for. This is why we have hope. This is why we walk in the light of Christ. This is why we are happy. All right? It's not that we've had lobotomies. You understand? It's not that we're stupid or ignorant. We understand that there's sadness around us. We all experience it. We all have issues in our life. But here's the point. I see the cross. I know where I'm going. And I know at the end of the day, I'm going to be with Jesus. And so how can I not be happy? How can I not be happy? And how can we not convey this experience to a world that is destined, destined really and lost in such a way? I want you to turn, if you would, uh, to Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. Colossians, verse 15. He, this is written by Paul now. He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Let's stop right there. He is the image of the invisible God. Well, what does God look like? What is God like? Jesus. You see Jesus, you see God, all right? That's why God sent him, uh, understanding it. That is who God is. He is Jesus Christ. Uh, firstborn over all creation, for by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. Can that be any clearer? Can that be any clearer as to the magnificence of Jesus Christ about his power? Not even the things in this world the things of the universe, and yes, even heaven. Even heaven. All things created by him. Look also at verse 19. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. How about that? All of the veritable fullness of God resided within Jesus Christ. Now, he gave up much of the divine prerequisites when he walked in this world, and God would give it to him from time to time when it became important to advance the kingdom of God, when miracles and powers had to be exhibited. But Jesus now is fully God. He was fully God before he came to this world, and he has returned and is fully God now as he sits at the right hand of God. Uh, and so you, you, you read this verse, and it says, it says here, and through him, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Reconciliation. Reconciliation. Meaning what? Meaning you were separated forever from God. You had no ability to be connected with God. Your very DNA disconnected you forever from God. You were born in sin, and you lived in sin, and only through the reconciliation of God through Jesus Christ were you made whole. You understand what reconciliation means? It means this, where you were before doesn't exist, and now you're back in an ongoing, perfect relationship with God. Why? Because you did something good? Because you're a good person? No, no, you're not good. You could never be good, but totally because Jesus bled for you on the cross. And you asked to be a part of that. This becomes an important understanding of what we stand for as Christians. And that's why we study this. And so Jesus himself, Jesus himself gave Frequent, frequent testimony to his uniqueness and his divine nature. This becomes important because people will say, well, geez, come on now. Jesus never said he was God. Are you kidding me? Bzz, wrong answer. You're off the show. You don't know what you're talking about. You know, and I have to say, and this is where it takes really divine intervention. When people talk like that, it's hard not to look at them and say, you're-, you're a moron. All right? Well, maybe that's just me, but but, 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 you know you have to ask God. You have to ask God to you know restrain you, restrain your tongue, uh, because really you know you're hearing ignorance ignorance spewed around as if it's theological perfection, and they don't know what they're talking about. You understand? And so Jesus referred often to his divinity and to his divine nature uh, to his opponents. His opponents, he declared, before Abraham was, I was. Let's turn to that, because I love that line. All right? I just love that. John ch- uh, chapter 8. And by the way, starting next, uh, next Sunday on the 11 o'clock radio program, they're going to begin to play again uh, my teachings on the Gospel of John. Uh, and so if you get a chance and you, you have a moment in your schedule, I would refer you to that 11 o'clock on Sundays on Kingdom FM 91.5. You get that on the radio. You get it also on Kingdom.FM on your computer. Uh, And you, I will begin to broadcast the entire Gospel of John. We're going to start with the fourth chapter, and that will be what you will hear uh, for the next months on the radio. And so you might want to tell your friends about that because there is no really better dissertation on who Jesus was than the Gospel of John. And so you look here at At John chapter 8, verse uh, 58. And let's just do this. And they they mocked Jesus here. These are the religious leaders. And they said, uh, actually, let's look at 54. Jesus replied, If I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My Father, whom you claim as your God, is the one who glorifies me. Though you do not know him, I know him. If I said I did not, I would be a liar like you. By the way, you got to love the way Jesus just cuts to the heart, doesn't he? Jesus isn't looking to be politically correct. Jesus is looking to be divinely correct, all right? But I do know him and keep his word. Your father, Abraham, rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. Stop. Wait a minute. Wait a minute, what did he just say? What did he just say? He said that Abraham, who was born uh, 1600 years before, saw the day when Jesus would be coming and glorified at the fact that God would send Christ himself. Now, I want you to understand what that did to them, uh, the uh, religious elite 57. You are not yet 50 years old. The Jews said to him, And you have seen Abraham? You see how blinded, you see how blinded people can be. And these are the religious elite he's speaking to. These are the scribes and Pharisees, the people who are leading Israel. I want you to see this because this is an example of how even people who have a religious position can be lost and, and, and absolutely lost. You are not yet 50 years old, the Jews said to him, and you have seen Abraham in verse 58. I tell you the truth. And when Jesus says that, buckle up. All right? When Jesus said, I tell you the truth, buckle up. Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. Now, that sends shivers up my spine. You understand? Because he specifically used the word I am. When was the last time you heard the word I am in the Bible? Uh, Moses and the burning bush. When Moses says, as an 80-year-old man whose physical abilities have been uh, ripped apart, who cannot even speak any longer because he stutters, and he looks at the burning bush, and the burning bush is speaking to him and tells him, I want you to go back I want you to go back to Egypt, and I want you to take three million of my people out, and he says to the burning bush, "But who should I say? Who should I say sent me?" You tell them, "I am that I am." And I could still see the Ten Commandments. I could still see that movie. I could still see Charlton Heston and that image burnished forever in my "I am that I am." I mean, you were a Jew, and you heard those words. I am. Before Abraham came, I am. You understood. Well, look, look at the reaction, all right? Look, look at the reaction uh, when, you, when you see what happens here when, when evil evil is, is presented by, with, by the truth of Jesus Christ. Uh, at this point, they picked up stones to stone him. I stood on that very spot when I was in Israel. I stood on that very spot, and I saw it saw that. They picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. Look, that just shows you how God protects until his will is that his time had to be completed. That's where we know we hear the call of God on our lives. He, take, he protects us until his timing is perfect. But you see what happens when Satan sees the, the very, very identity of Christ himself, the very power of Christ himself, you see his reaction. So what does this mean? It means this for you, as you go out in the world and you speak to people, I don't want you to think that people are gonna lift you up and go, oh, you're great, you're great. Where have you been my whole life? What a wonderful, year. let's give him an award. Let's put him. let's let him be a speaker. No, a lot of people are gonna persecute you and vituperate you. Alright? They're gonna cut you down. Alright, why? Because this world is sold out to evil. This is Satan's world. So if you think that you're gonna go and be lifted up, let me let me you know, disabuse you of this. Let me disabuse you of this. Uh, and because you are gonna be persecuted. And sometimes that'll even be in church. Okay? And people will not understand. Uh, what, what the call of God is on your life, but I want the call of God on your life to be so burnished that you don't care what happens, that you don't care what people say. All you care about is what Jesus says and what God says. And so you see this here; they clearly understood. The Jewish people understood it. This was a clear claim of divinity. He didn't min- mince words. He told them flat out, "I'm God." I existed before Abraham. Abraham saw me. So make no mistake about it. The Jews of that period understood clearly and precisely what Jesus said. Look also, if you would, to John chapter 10, John chapter 10, verse 30. And this is is important. Look at verse 25, and he's speaking to the the disbelieving Jews. Let's talk about that. Uh, And so... Uh, they said in in the sentence before, they said, if you are the Christ, tell us plainly. How about that? Not plain enough? What am I, speaking a foreign language to you people? I mean, that's amazing, isn't it? Tell us if you're the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered, I did tell you, verse 25, but you do not believe. The miracles I do in my Father's name speak for me, but you do not believe because you are not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. You can applaud for that. I and the Father are R1 did you get it now? Did you understand it now? And by the way, this is another passage that that uh, tells us again that once God saves us, that once you make the commitment to God, He takes you in His hand and He closes the hand around you. No one will ever take you out of the hand of God. You are eternally secure. Don't let have anybody disabuse you of that. You don't lose your salvation because guess what? You didn't earn your salvation. So how are you going to lose something that you didn't earn? You were saved because God gave it to you and sealed you with the Holy Spirit and then put his hand around you and clasped it around you forever. No one, no power, no authority can ever take him out of your hand. Can you wonder how a guy can speak with the passion that I have at eight o'clock in the morning, all right? And I only really had one cup of coffee. I want you to understand something. This isn't something that comes from studying or getting an education or comes from certifications or anything like this. What you see is that when you bow before the throne of God, God fills you with the Holy Spirit. And when you're speaking about him, the veritable words that are coming out of my mouth are God's words. It's just my lips, all right? Really, and I want you to understand something. i later listen to the broadcast, and often I'll say to my wife, I have no recollection of saying that. And it's not because I'm suffering from Alzheimer, all right? It's because they weren't words that came out of my heart. They were words that came from the mind of God. This is why we come here. If you come here and are not being fed spiritually, then frankly, the Holy Spirit is not alive. But if you come here and you hear these words and say to your heart, yes, amen, he's right. Yes, Father, I know it. It's not me, it's not my ability, it's, the, it's God himself through the Holy Spirit speaking to your heart. That's why this is critical and what we do is so important. And that's why I wanna inspire you as you leave here that this is the, these are the messages and the words that you have to give to your family and your children and your grandchildren and your neighbors. Don't just say here and leave here and say, oh, it was good. It was a good day. Let's go golfing. Let's go out to lunch. Look, all those things are great, but the most important thing in your life is that you speak about Jesus Christ. You speak about Jesus Christ. I pray that you have the courage to stand up and do it. Do it in your church. Do it in your home. Do it in your neighborhood. Do it to your your family in so many ways. And look, a lot of us have raised our kids, and we didn't do this. And God's given us a second chance. You understand? He's given us a second chance now, not only with your children, but your grandchildren. You speak to them about that. You don't be fearful. You don't think, oh, if I talk about Jesus, they won't come and visit me anymore. No, they will come and visit you because your home will be filled with the spirit of God. And they, can't, and they want to be around that spirit, even if they don't understand it. And so you see this, I and the father are one. And again, his enemies try to stone him, uh, as they say there, because you are a man and you're making yourself God. No, I'm not making myself God. God made me God. All right? I am part of God himself. Uh, And so uh, look also as you see uh, Jesus demonstrating the divine powers of forgiveness. Look at Mark chapter 1, if you would. Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1, beginning of verse 1. The beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way, a voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way of the Lord, make make paths straight for him. Now, understand that that's an Old Testament prophecy indicating that before Jesus would come in Isaiah, that there would be a messenger who would prepare the way of the Lord. Isaiah, written 800 years before Christ would be born, that there would be a messenger indicating who would be saying in the wilderness, prepare you the way of the Lord. And so it was, and so it took place. And so, verse 4, so John came, baptizing in the desert region and preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me will come one more powerful than I, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. There it is. I am not worthy to even tie his sandals up. One will come, and when he comes, he's going to come with power, and that power is going to be with the Holy Spirit that he's going to do that. And so you see that there at the time, Jesus was, came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. As Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove, and a voice came from heaven. You are my son, whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. You want to know what the Trinity is? There's the Trinity. Okay? You don't see the word, this is the Trinity, but you see God the Father speaking, God the Son being baptized, and the Holy Spirit descending like a dove on Christ. There's the Trinity. There's the example of what the Trinity is about. And so you understand that. Uh, And so, uh Jesus even made it even more specific in John chapter 19. Let's look at that. John 19. Again, people say, well, Jesus never said he was God. I'm only giving you a hundred different examples. All right, maybe I exaggerate. 90. <laughs> John 19. All right. Now we're in trial. Jesus is in trial. All right. Uh, and so uh, let's. Let's let's look at verse one. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. They clothed him in a purple robe and went up to him again and again saying, hail, king of the Jews. And they struck him in the face. Once more, Pilate came out and said to the Jews, look, I am bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no basis for a charge against them. How do you like that? I can't find anything that he's done. He's innocent. Uh, when Jesus came out, verse 5, wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, Pilate said to them, here is the man, here is the man. And that phrase in Latin, "Ecce homo, is, is, comes down through, the, through history. Here is the man, here is Jesus Christ. And as soon as the chief priests and their officials saw him, they shouted, crucify, crucify. Can you imagine the evil that took place at that moment. We bow before God, Lord, forgive us, Father. But Pilate answered, you take him and crucify him. As for me, I find no basis for a charge against him. The Jews insisted. We saw a law. We have a law, and according to the law, he must die because he claimed to be the son of God. When Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid. How do you like that? you think God was working on Pilate? He was frightened because he saw what was happening. He saw what was going on. He, he began to understand the divine power that Jesus had, and he went back inside the palace. Where do you come from, he asked Jesus. Can you imagine that? Where do you come from, uh, he asked Jesus, but Jesus gave him no answer. Do you refuse to speak to me, Pilate said, Don't you realize I have power either to free you or to crucify you? Um, And Jesus answered, "You you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. And so you see that. You see that, that they understood. They knew who he said he was. They knew he said he was the son of God. Uh, And look now, go back and look at Luke 22, verse 70, all right? 66, at daybreak, the council of the elders of the people, both the chief priests and the teachers of the law met together. And Jesus was led before them. You understand this. He's now really in front of the Sanhedrin, all right? If you are the Christ, they said, tell us. (laughs) He hasn't already told you over and over again. Jesus answered, if I tell you, you will not believe me. And if I asked you, you would not answer. But from now on, the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of the mighty God. How about that? He'll be seated at the right hand of God. They all asked, Are you then the Son of God? He replied, You are right in saying, I am. How about that? You are right in saying, I am. I am that I am, I am, that I am. You've seen God. You've seen the son of God. You've seen him do miracles. You've seen him said power. You've seen him over and over and over again, tell you who he is and how he came. You were, you were told through the scripture that all things were created by him, everything in heaven and on earth and all the creatures and humanity itself. And here he is, this man who walked in this world with flesh, who has the ability to to call on the divine powers, went to the cross as your once and perfect substitutionary sacrifice. He died once and for all for you so that God would hold you in his hand and put his fingers around you and keep you there for the rest of your life until you came face to face with God himself. That is your Jesus we'll continue this next week. Lord Jesus, I thank you for these words. I thank you for these passages. Lord, I thank you for your life and for your commitment to us and your sacrifice. And God, I thank you that you've preserved us. And now, Father, I ask you that you inspire these men to have this message within their hearts so that they leave this place empowered, in passion, to speak to others about who you are. As we stand on the precipice of a fallen world, Lord, we need to reach out to so many who need this message. Bless our people. Give them courage. Help us to articulate this to a world that's lost. Father, be with our men. Protect them this week and bring them back safely next week to continue the study of your word. We put all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. God bless you all.